One, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. I've heard a lot of groups sing that song, young people, but it's special having kids sing it. And I pray that you mean it. I pray that that be the desire of your hearts. I hope that be our desire, is to serve him while our hearts are tender. Um, take your Bibles, if you will. Turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm 23. We'll be in Psalm 23, a very familiar passage of Scripture this morning. And I hope it be one that we don't just say, oh, well, it's familiar, almost like the John 3.16 thing of just kind of tune it out because, oh, we know it, we have it memorized. I hope it's something that can be a help to you and a blessing. First and foremost, thank you, Pastor, for giving me this opportunity to preach this morning. I never take it lightly uh, to stand behind the pulpit, not only his pulpit, but literally the pulpit he built. Um, but uh, to come behind it and to preach the Word of God, I always come with a huge honor and a responsibility as well. Um, Psalm chapter 23, we're just going to read the first two verses. Most of you, many of you may have this memorized, and if you don't have this passage of scripture memorized, I highly encourage you to get that uh, done sooner rather than later. Uh, you can get a lot of strength from the Psalms. There's a lot of really good Psalms out there, but I think this one speaks a very, very powerful message. Uh, Psalm chapter number 23, if you're there, once you're there, I'll invite you to stand with me as we read just the first two verses, and I'll preach just a very... A very hopefully short, and what I'm what I'm trying to do is, like Pastor said, every every preacher has his own style, and I preach to kids, okay. So my preaching style is this: bottom shelf, all right, bottom shelf, so everybody can get it. If I use big words, just look it up in the source or dictionary later. Hopefully that'll help you. But I'm going to try to keep everything on the bottom shelf and preach like I would understand it, which is still a very childlike brain at its core. Let's do this. Let's, uh, let's read first two verses all together. We'll pause at the punctuation, but let's read verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 23. Ready? Begin. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. For just a few moments this morning, I'd like to preach on this thought. Lie down. Lie down. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll jump right in. Our Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so very much for your goodness, Lord, for the, the opportunity to stand and to preach your word. I pray, Lord, that you would just do a great work, Lord, not because of me, in spite of me, Lord, because your word has power. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just do a mighty work that I couldn't even attempt to try to do. Ask that you bless this hour. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. You may have noticed when you came in today that there is a sleeping bag and a pillow up here. Now, I told Brother Gross yesterday that if he covered all the bases, that today I would just stand up, say, ditto, and then take a nap for about a half hour. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I do not get that opportunity. However, however, I brought that here because of what is written here, and that is lie down. Before we get to that part of this chapter, though, I want us to look at the introduction, which is simply the assumption. The assumption given is given in verse number one. Before we even get to verse number two, look at that, if you will, in your Bibles. The Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd. The entire psalm was written under this assumption. The Lord is your shepherd. Now, in a room this size, of a group of people of this of uh, different varying backgrounds, I don't know if necessarily all of us could say that the Lord is my shepherd. Because to say that the Lord is my shepherd means that the Lord is also your savior. He is your protector. That he is the one you are depending on for your entire eternity. 
That is to be the Lord as your shepherd. But that is not the way that we are normally born. When we're born by default, he is not our father. He is not our shepherd. That is a choice that each and every one of us must make. As a matter of fact, Jesus, I believe, said it best. And he said it in a very, very blunt way. Are you ready? John 8, 44 says this. Ye are of your father, the devil. Now that's pretty strong. And the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. The Bible teaches us that when we are born, from the day we are born, we have a sin nature. We are not taking on the nature from from our birth from the Father in heaven. We are taking our nature from the sinfulness and the sinfulness of our flesh and the sinfulness here, as the Bible says, your father, the devil. Jesus even makes the sheep analogy when it comes to his own and those that are not his own. In Matthew 25, 32, he says this, And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. So my question initially is, do you fall under the crowd that is, the Lord is my shepherd? Or do you fall under the crowd of the goats? Because this morning, you are one of the two. You are one of his, or you are not one of his. And if you say, Brother Caleb, I don't know which one I am, chances are you're not one of his. Because the day that you trust Christ as your Savior is a day you will not soon forget. That's a day when Jesus saves your soul. That's a day where you have an eternity in heaven. That's a day you go past from death unto life. That is a day when you get the Holy Spirit moving within you. And how can something as big as God move inside something as small as us and us not realize it? It's impossible. The day that you get saved is a day you will not soon forget. So that's the introduction, the assumption that the Lord is your shepherd. And if he is not, get that settled today. He can be your shepherd. He can be your provider. He can be the protector. If we go to the book of John, he calls himself, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And a good shepherd lays down his life for his flock. But we move on to verse number two, which is really the meat of the message. See, there are, when I read this, and I've been dwelling in this psalm for quite some time, so please, please excuse me if I try, if I start getting ahead of myself. I've been dwelling on this for probably the last few months. The Bible teaches, when we talked about lying down in green pastures, it speaks to a peace and a rest. How many of y'all could use a little bit more peace and rest in your life? I tell you what, every time I wake up in the morning, I remind myself I could use a little bit more rest. I just have one more hit of the snooze button, just a little bit longer, five more minutes. But that's not the rest that he's talking about. He's talking about a peace that passes all understanding. And while I was reading this, I also came across in my study a book that was written by a shepherd, probably lived back in the 90s, was born in the, uh, in the or not in the 90s, but in the 1900s. And as a shepherd and also a Christian man, he read this psalm and he really realized something amazing. He wrote a book and he called, it was called The Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And it was really fantastic because there's so much here that me, I'm not a shepherd. I don't understand. I've never been a shepherd. have no desire to be a shepherd. But there are certain things that David wrote in here as a shepherd that he truly understood. And one of the things was the lie down portion. And the lie down portion is interesting. You see, for you and for me, we don't need much to lie down. What we need is probably about a mattress, a blanket, and a pillow. 
And some of you, depending on your age, maybe like a little stuffed animal, maybe a little snuggle buddy with a name like Mr. Wiggles or Mr. Squishy. I don't have one named that. I was just going off of what Brother Gross told me. Um, I know better than pick on Pastor or Brother Leader. They're preaching after me. So I, I know how this works. But, but you might have something else that you use to sleep with. But the thing is that sheep don't have that. They don't need a mattress. They don't need a billow. They don't need a Mr. Snuggle Buddy. You know what they need? They need four basic needs to be met. If four basic needs are not met, no sheep will, will lie down under any circumstances. And as I read through the needs that sheep had, I made a direct correlation because it's all backed up with Scripture. Everything that the sheep needs is backed up by what the Bible says, and I think that's absolutely amazing. So today, I want to look at the four things. The four things that keep sheep from lying down in green pastures. Are you ready? Number one, the fear of attack. Number one, the fear of attack. If a sheep senses there's any danger in the world around them, if there's a wolf, if there's a bear, if there's a lion, the sheep will not lie down. A sheep's head is on a swivel, just looking around. It was almost like, it was almost like they're, they're expecting just something to jump out at them at any moment. They're afraid of attack. Can I tell you, boys and girls, young people, we have a predator as well. We can go to the book of 1 Peter and read that we are supposed to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The fear of attack. One of the devil's greatest tools is fear. One of the devil's greatest tool uh, tool is fear. We see that in this passage by the fact that it calls him a roaring lion. He's a walking lion. He is a devouring lion. But before he is any of those things, he is a roaring lion. You know what a roar does? A roar intimidates. A roar speaks out and lets you know there's some, there's a big bag boogie, boogeyman on the other side. There's something out there that's ready to get you. It's meant to cause fear and intimidation. But can I say, young people, God has given us a far greater tool in the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 1.7 says that God, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The Bible even tells us that we should resist the devil. And you know what happens when we resist the devil? He flees. That sounds like a pretty, a pretty powerful asset at our disposal. It seems like a pretty powerful tool. You say, Brother Caleb, we have power over fear? Yes, you do. If you have the Holy Spirit living within you, yes, you do. He has not given you the spirit of fear. He's given you a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. As a matter of fact, Philippians 4, 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So we see the first thing is the fear of attack. If a sheep is afraid that there's an attack coming, it will not lie down. But we have overcome fear through the Holy Spirit. Number two, the second thing that keeps sheep from lying down, friction among the animals. Now, if we were to go to... A chicken coop. Bear with me. A chicken coop. There would be something in the chicken coop called a pecking order. We're pretty, pretty familiar with a pecking order. It's a hierarchy in the chicken world. In the chicken world, you have the ones that rule the roost, and you have the ones going to KFC. Okay? Two sides of the spectrum. Different pecking order. You can usually tell the ones ruling the roost by the ones that are pecking at each other. You see, there is a chicken that will domineer everyone else around them. 
and by doing that creates a lot of friction in the chicken coop. But among sheep, they have a budding order. It's actually an actual thing in, in the sheep world. It's a budding order. You might understand the whole budding order from the, the term headbutt, right? A headbutt. What they will do is there's one domineering sheep, and this sheep will just go up against the next and ram it. Different animal, but same action. Ram it. It'll ram against another sheep. And in doing so, it says this. I'm going to have things my way. You can't have a peaceful school year, boys and girls. You can't have a peaceful life when there's friction. You can't have a peaceful life when there's strife. The Bible words for, for the uh, contention, or Bible words for the, the, uh, the budding or the friction, is simply contention and strife. As a matter of fact, I thought this was interesting, Brother Payne. The very first time that strife is mentioned in the Bible, it's talking about livestock. It's talking about Abraham's herd and Lot's herd. They're herdsmen. There was a strife between them. Isn't that interesting? But where does contention come from? Let me give you three things real fast. Where does contention come from? Number one, selfish pride. Selfish pride. Proverbs 13.10 says this, Only by pride cometh contention. But with the well-advised is wisdom. You say, there's a little bit of friction going on in my class. You know where that started? Selfish pride. There's a little bit of friction going on amongst my siblings. You know where that started? Selfish pride. There's a little bit of something. I can't understand why we're just butting heads all the time. You know where it starts? According to the word of God, pride. Pride. Selfishness. You say, Brother Caleb, I don't deal. I don't have any problem with selfishness. Okay. I hope that's true. But let's just have one of these teachers bring in too few cookies one day, and we'll see if that's true. Let's just have someone at recess playing with your favorite ball. We'll see if that's true. Let's just have you get called out for something you didn't do. We'll see if that's true. The truth is, young people, is that pride and selfishness resides in our sinful man. And if we don't take care of that, it will cause friction. Say, I want a life of peacefulness. I want, a, I want a peaceful school year. Wonderful. Starts by getting rid of the friction. And the friction comes from selfish pride. Can I say this? Friction also comes from scornful people. Proverbs 22.10 says this. Cast out the scorner and the contention shall go out. Isn't that amazing? You throw out the scorner and somehow contention goes out with it. It's almost like they're related. It's almost like one comes with the next. Friction and the scorner. Oh, in this school year, one scorner can ruin an entire classroom. It it can ruin an entire chapel. It can ruin an entire class. It can ruin an entire family by one person just being a scorner. One person being a despiser. One person being a mocker. Making a mockery of the things of God. And it can ruin the entire atmosphere. And take away all the peace. But not only, not only does it come by selfish pride, not only does this friction come by scornful people, but it also comes by slanderous posts. Let me say what the Bible says in Proverbs 26, verse 20, where no wood is, the fire goeth out. So where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. I could have just put down here gossiping. I could have. But pastor, it doesn't go with the alliterated outline. So slanderous posts. And I began to think about that. The way in the 21st century that we'll generally slander each other, it isn't behind each other's back in a whisper like it would have been years ago. 
It'll generally be on social media. It'll generally be on text messages or instant messages or some other way that you can comment and say, oh, well, did you hear about so-and-so? Oh, no, I didn't hear about that person. What, what happened over there? What are you doing? You're tail-bearing. And let me say this, boy, by the way. Someone that gossips to you is by sure gossiping about you. That's the way that gossips work. They go and they share this little bit of information. Oh, do you hear this juicy little bit, bit of gossip? And you're like, oh, man, let me take that and share it with someone else. But if they're a gossip, then you're in their world, too. If they're a gossip, then, they, then you are the topic of conversation behind your back in their world as well. What am I saying? I'm saying that slanderous posts will destroy any sort of peace. It will cause friction. And you can't have a peaceful school year with friction. But not only that, not only is it the fear of attack that will keep sheep from lying down, friction among the animals keeps sheep from lying down. But let me give you the third one. Flies. Flies. Isn't it interesting? Brother Leader was in the back and Pastor was leading a song. He just clapped real big like that. And I'm like, Brother, this isn't the song for clapping. This is one of the hymns, all right? You just got to settle down a little bit. But he was trying to get a fly. Brother, did you get it? Oh, what a shame. It was buzzing right around his coffee. Yesterday I was over by the sink and I saw a fly, big old fat fly. And so I just went, slapped it, fell straight down. I felt so good about myself. There's something about killing a fly that just brings you joy. Why? Well, because there's three things I notice about flies. Flies, number one, are annoying. Flies are annoying. How many of you have ever had a fly in your classroom and that was the only thing you could think about? I mean, you, you, the teacher's probably teaching or something really important going on. You can only think about that stinking fly, ready? right? Right? Absolutely. We've all been there. A fly is annoying. Number two, a fly is dumb. Flies are dumb. Going down the freeway 95 at, at 60 miles an hour, boom, splat on a windshield. And yet, if they somehow make it into your car, fly right in the window, they will not leave for anything. They have taken up their, their, new, re, their new residence. You can even like try to reason with them and roll down the window. Hey, go out the window. How many of you have ever tried to talk a fly out of your car? It doesn't work. They're like, oh no, I'm not falling for that again. They stay in there. They're dumb. But also, I saw this. Flies carry diseases. Did you know that? Flies carry diseases. They say that the average house fly has any number or could have any number of 65 different types of diseases that it can carry. Not all at the same time or else we'd all be dead probably. But any number of those diseases... So they are annoying, they're dumb, and they give disease. But can I tell you, boys and girls, can I tell you, young people, what's worse than flies is sin. Verse John 5, 17 says this, all unrighteousness is sin. God clearly outlined it. And can I tell you, it does more than just annoy you. Can I tell you, it does more than just be dumb to you. It does more than just bring disease to you. It grieves the Holy Spirit of God when you allow it into your life. I made a few observations about flies that apply to our lives as well. It only takes one. It only takes one fly to annoy you. Usually it is only one. It's not a swarm of them. It takes one fly and that sets it off. You can't concentrate until that fly is dead. You're going to take off your shoe. You're going to grab a fly swatter or roll up a newspaper. One of you is coming out alive and it isn't going to be that fly. But it only takes one. Boys and girls, it only takes one sin. It only takes one sin in your life 
to grieve the Holy Spirit. It only takes one sin to set you on edge, to take away your peace. It only takes one. What does the Bible say about this? I'm glad you asked. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, singular, and the sin, singular, which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know what the Bible says? It only takes one. What is that sin? What is that sin? What is it that you're not willing to get rid of? Oh, Brother Caleb, it's annoying, but it's just not that bad just yet. But it's still sin. God said this, all unrighteousness is sin. And the Bible says this in Ephesians 4.30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed until the day of redemption. It only takes one to annoy you and to grieve the Holy Spirit. Number two, they'll stay around as long as you let them. They'll stay around and take up habitation if you allow it to stay in your classroom for the next 28 days. That's about the life of a fly. About the next 28 days, it is unpacking its suitcase and kicking up its legs on your furniture saying, I have found me a place. It is happy. It's happy to stay as long as you let it. Boys and girls, your sin is happy to stay in your life as long as you let it. Until you get some righteous indignation and say, that's it, and take out the fly swatter and take out the Holy Spirit of God and say, I'm done with this sin. I'm taking it down to the altar. I'm getting rid of it. Until you do that, that fly's going to stay around. But here's the worst part. By the way, I have Bible for that as well. John uh, 8, 34. Jesus answered and saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committed sin is a servant of sin. Ooh. When that sin moves in, your role's reversed. Oh, you thought you had control over it? <laughs> now it's got control over you. That's how sin works. If you don't kill it, it will stay as long as it wants to. And the Bible says this in Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. You say, why am I not, am I not succeeding? I would check first to see if there's any sins that you have covered up. Any sins that you're not getting right. Anything between you and, 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 and God that you're not willing to take care of. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Boys and girls, sin is a problem. It'll stay around as long as you let it. And here's the last thing about, about the flies. If left long enough, They'll lay eggs. If left long enough, they will lay eggs. I thought this was fascinating, Brother Gene. Flies, female flies anyways, you know biology. Female flies can lay up to 500 eggs in four days. 500 eggs. A fly will have about 28-day uh, life, but out of four days, it can lay up to 500 eggs in about increments of about 75 to 150 at a time. Now, each egg, all right, this is not biology class, but I hope you understand. Each egg represents another fly, another annoying nuisance, another thing that's going to come in and just start flying all over the place. They'll lay eggs. Boys and girls, that's how sin works too. Your sin will stay around as long as you let it to. It will only take one, but that one can turn into a lot more than one real fast. You say, oh, Brother Caleb, it's just a little bit of lying, but I won't go any further than that. Hmm. Well, doesn't the Bible say something about neither giving place to the devil? I think the devil's been at this for a long, long time. You know what the devil knows? If I can get one, I can get 500. If I can get my foot in the door, 
that I can have anything that I want. You say, well, that's not the case with me, Brother Caleb. Well, I'm sure Lot thought the same thing when he pitched his tent towards Sodom. I'm not going inside the city. I'll never end up like those people. I'll never associate with them. I'm just going and pitching my tent. Hey, Lot, how did that work out for you? Hmm. Or we could go to David, the one who wrote this psalm. David, would you ever murder a man? Oh, no. No, I never would. No, 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 I love my God too much. David, would you ever commit adultery? Oh, no, 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 I would never do that. I love my God too much. David, you're a mighty man of war. Would you ever stay home when you're supposed to be out fighting? Oh, no, 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 I could never do that. What I'm saying, boys and girls, what I'm saying, young people, is it takes one. And one can rapidly increase if you don't deal with it. Lastly, and I'm out of time, we see the flies that annoy. We see the fear of the attacks. We see the friction of the animals. But lastly, I see that there's food to appease. You see, sheep are very interesting in that the Bible mentioned that specifically. It talks about green pastures. And green pastures talk about grass. Hopefully you understood that. Green grass. And where the green grass grows, all around, all around, there the sheep are. But the sheep and the green grass go hand in hand. In the time in the the area where David was living, green grass didn't just grow everywhere. It was mostly desert, very arid, very very sparse greenery, very sparse um, pastures. So if there was grass there, it was there on purpose. And the grass that was there was meant for the sheep, and the sheep would have to decide, are they going to eat it? Or find something else. And sheep that would wander away would constantly be wandering and never lying down because they're always looking for something better. Can I tell you, boys and girls, God has given us all the spiritual food that we need. He's given us his word. He's given us the green grass and the green pastures. He's given us his perfect word, something that will never fail us and will never go bad and something that will never lie to us. But how often do we look for other things? Oh, I know that's what the Bible said, but let me go off and and hear what so-and-so has to say. I know that's what the Bible says, but that goes against what the guy on social media says. That goes against what my my favorite favorite YouTuber says. That goes against what they, they promote on TV. And what are you doing? You're never finding the peace because you're looking for food elsewhere. But can I say, boys and girls, can I say, young people, from the youngest to the oldest of us, the searching is the devil always making some other field look greener and better. He's been doing that since day one. Adam and Eve had the entire, the entire garden. And they could have eaten from any of those the fruits of those trees. And yet they decided, no, 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 those aren't good enough. What God has provided isn't good enough. You need the one thing that God said for you not to have. But I see the, sac- the satisfaction. I see, lastly, the satisfaction that the food brings, that God provides. Psalm seventeen fifteen says this, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness, I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. This kind of ties in as well to what Brother Gross was talking about yesterday. He talked about how how to have a successful school year. Tips for a successful school year. Can I tell you, a healthy dose of God's word is a big part of it too. Boys and girls, did you know there's one place where success is mentioned in the Bible? In Joshua chapter 1. Turn there really quickly and we'll be done. Joshua chapter number 1 and verse number 8. Joshua 1.8. It talks about success. If you want to find success in your life, all the things that Brother Gross mentioned, I amen 100%. 
But notice what Joshua said in Joshua 1.8. The Bible says, This book of the law shall not depart of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein. What are those next three words? Day and That's God's Bible reading schedule. He says, you want to have, you want to live a, a peaceful life. You want to have food that will appease. Day and night. How often do you eat food? <laughs> a lot more than day and night. Your spiritual man needs to eat as well. Keep reading. That thou mayest observe to do all this according the, uh, to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Boys and girls, if you want to have the peace that God offers the school year, if you want to have success this school year, it all comes from doing it God's way. It comes from doing it God's way, getting rid of the fear, eliminating the friction, killing the flies, and eating the food. question is, are you doing those things? And if not, start today. Make a decision today and tell God, God, whatever it is that you want, whatever it is that you want, you can have it. In exchange, God will give you a peace that passes all understanding. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. The altar's open. If God did a work in your heart, you're more than welcome to come and use it. Young people, are you having the peace that he desired for you? Do you have the peace that God has intended for you? Or maybe is there something that's hindering what God has intended for your life? I don't know what it is. Pastor mentioned earlier, there's so many things that you're dealing with. Maybe you're dealing with things at home. Maybe you're dealing with things personally. I don't know, but I can tell you this. Jesus is still the answer. 